God's led us to this place. God's led us to this place. It's like coming and sitting before the feet of Jesus. We come to remember him. We come because we know it's all about him. You know know that? I I have a little Watchman Nee daily reading book and I I was getting a bit panicky about the prophetic this week. And I I, I just felt God say, have a look. Have a look at today's date. And I looked up today's date and he says, it was about Mary and Martha and Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you think, you know, he said, with all your effort and with all your panic, you can produce nothing effective unless you've got me. And I just felt the same this morning. It's like the Lord said, I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, Jubilee, and I'm going to resource you and, and what you will see. And I believe he's coming to the church in Teesside, actually, not just Jubilee. I don't want to be in any way narrow about this, but it's, it's, it's to see us filled, equipped, empowered for the glory of Jesus. I love it. I'm excited by it, and a little daunted. Okay? So up until the end of April, we're, Sunday mornings, we're looking uh, at some of the statements Jesus made, and today we're going to look at Matthew 26, 17 to 30. It's very well known, um, but perhaps because it's well known, we don't pay attention to it. It will be on the screen. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and tell him, the teacher says, my appointed time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. I don't know if the guy knew that in advance. I just just love what God does, you know. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sad and began to say to him, one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. And Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had had given thanks, he He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. As usual, I've given myself three points, and... uh, they even all begin with the same letter. Isn't that impressive? The. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> T, yeah, even the same word then. All right. The context, the command, and the consequence. So we're just, when we read the scripture, we need to understand the context that we're, we're reading into, what it was all about. And the meal that Jesus and the disciples were celebrating in our reading was the Passover meal. Now, you know, a lot of people say, oh, what's that? 
Well, we read about it in Exodus 12. And this was a meal that celebrated the time when the angel of death passed over the homes of all the Jewish people who had painted the blood of a lamb on their doorposts of their houses. This was a time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and God was sending plagues upon the land because Pharaoh wouldn't let the people of God go. And this final plague, this plague of death on all the firstborn of Egypt was terrifying. And only those families who had obeyed God and put the lamb's blood on their doorposts were spared. That does mean that only those of the people of God who had been obedient and put blood on their doorpost were spared. We sometimes think, oh, that means just all the nation was spared. No, it required from the people of God personal obedience to the word of God. And they were spared. I'm trying to unpack that, but every time I look at scripture at the moment, I find something I've got to unpack and I... But there's this amazing truth in these things. The lamb, this lamb they sacrificed, became known as the Passover lamb. And from that point in Jewish history, they celebrated the Passover meal annually. Uh, the, the family would gather together and they, they, would, they would actually celebrate this meal dressed with their coats on. Because it was about being ready to go. Okay? A going people, dressed with their coats on and they'd kill the lamb, and, and, and then they, they would cook it, obviously, and then eat it together. This had to be a perfect lamb without any defect in it, and they would eat the meal together, and, and it was a very, very special moment for the Jewish people, and this meal went on through centuries and still does, um, and it's a meal of remembrance and a meal of celebration. A meal remembering the faithfulness of God and a meal of, ce- of celebration of liberty out of captivity but it comes through the work of God and it was this meal this meal that had gone on for centuries that Jesus and the disciples were celebrating and it is as they ate this meal that Jesus starts to bring forth the truth and he's basically saying you know what you've been doing and you know the history you know about the lamb well here I am I am the perfect lamb I am the one. This is enormous truth. This is, this is pivotal in history. It's, it's jaw-dropping. It's amazing. And uh, I, I just, every time I, I think about it, I think, wow, that revelation of Jesus. You know what I see? You see, the church is built on the revelation of who Jesus is. And so these disciples are struggling all the time, but it's this revelation of here I am now, I am the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. That was the revelation that was coming as they ate this meal. I think that's amazing, isn't it? Well, I think it is. It's his sinless, perfect body that is about to be given for sacrifice on the cross. And it is his sinless blood that is to be shed so that all who put their faith in him would now and forever after in the eyes of God be washed clean be made whole and be seen clothed in Christ's righteousness 
Because the Father looks upon the blood of Jesus and is eternally satisfied. The price for sin is paid once and for all time. This is huge. This is, this is what everything we believe as Christians pivots on this truth. What Jesus did on the cross. And so when we break bread together, when we drink wine, and I know we do it in a casual way, and I, I, I want to encourage that, but I don't want it to be a casual in the wrong sense. I want it to be meaningful but not stuffy. I want it to be meaningful but not religious. But I want us to appreciate, as we take bread and wine today, the enormity of the revelation that came at this meal. And I, my prayer is it comes fresh to us again as we take bread and wine. We're going to drink wine or grape juice. We are remembering and proclaiming that Jesus is our once and for all time, our Passover lamb. And we're going to keep celebrating this meal until Jesus comes again. Now the command. Throughout scripture there are a few things that God has commanded us. We don't like commands very much. Have, have you noticed that? Everybody wants to do their own thing. Anybody identify with that? How, how many of you react when somebody goes and says, you, you need to go and do that? Yeah? You, your instinct is to say, no. Who are you to tell me what to do? Do you, do you ever have that? Happens all the time. Do what? The important thing about the Christian life is it starts by living under the authority of God. And as we learn to live under the authority of God, we become a people who know how to handle obedience. We're called to the obedience that comes from faith. And so Jesus speaks very clearly, commands to us. He doesn't say, let's have a debate about this. Let's have a debate about that. Let's have a debate about baptism. Let's have a debate about... He didn't say that. He said, do it. And I kind of think, if we want to debate the issue, we'll just say, just shut up and do it. Right? Commands are not debatable issues. And there are a few of them in Scripture, and I'm going to go through them. Repent. Repent. Turn around from self-centeredness and seek to live a God-centered life. That's a key one. That's a key command. What shall I do to be saved? Repent. Well, I don't want to do that. You see, often we want to preach a gospel that people say, I want to add God and his love to my life. Thank you very much. I want to be loved. I want to know it's unconditional. I want to know, but I don't want to turn my life around. Thank you very much. I don't want to, I don't want to have to change. I just want the good bits. No. We, we use phrase like, God loves you unconditionally. Heard that lately? God does love you unconditionally, but there are conditions about receiving it. The love is given freely. But he said, if you want to receive this love, starting point is repentance. Turn around. Make a choice. You're either going to live for God or you're going to live for yourself. But this is a pivotal moment in your life. 
No, he wins us. He's not harsh with us. He takes us on a journey of revelation and love and, and bit by bit we come to a place where we gladly repent. But repentance isn't just a once-for-all once for all command. Repentance is a lifestyle. Living a life that says yes to God and no to self. That's the Christian life. And so one of the commands is repent. Repent. Here's another one. Believe. So well, I can't just believe. I need to be persuaded. Okay? But you know what? You can argue and argue and argue and try and persuade forever with all the arguments you like. It doesn't make you believe it. It might make you question it more. But I find it interesting. He never tells you to doubt. He doesn't say, believe. Or he says, bring your doubts to me and see if we can sort them. He just says, believe. We, we struggle with that, don't we? I need to tell you, belief is a choice. Belief is always a step of faith. Just is. People believe all sorts of things. Sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to it, but if you believe it, you believe it. He says, believe. He says, believe in what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, that's the gospel. Believe, it's command. So how do we respond then? I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. I, I find it's, it's amazing. Uh, you, you, when people get saved, I, you just tell them the truth and they go, oh, Oh, that's the truth. Oh, I believe that then. As soon as they take that step of choosing to believe, they, they come alive. Oh, oh, I see. But belief's a choice. In our Western culture, we, we wrestle. We, we love to analyze. We love to have logical processes. And I love it very much myself. I'm, a, I'm scientific in my thinking, cause and effect. But you know what? I believe Jesus loves me because the Bible says so. Because God says, I love you. Oh, thank you, Lord. I, I, I don't, nobody can prove that to me. I choose to believe it or not. It's the truth. It's my choice whether I believe it. Does that make sense? I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. I'm probably a bit of a dinosaur. But, well, not physically, but... I've been around a while, and, and I, I remember in my arrogance as a young person, I was brought up in a Christian home, and I was brought up to believe the Bible to be true, and I still believe the Bible to be true. I absolutely believe it to be true. I believe it needs understanding, but I believe it to be true. But I remember in my teens saying, look, I believe Jonah was swallowed by a whale, but if the Bible said Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe it. And people looked at me as I had three heads. What I was trying to demonstrate was faith is a step where we choose. We choose. I choose to put my, my trust in Jesus. I choose to believe that Jesus died for me. And you know what? I'm going to just stand on that truth. We all stand on some sort of truth. We all stand on this or that or the next thing. And the way science goes on today, you find everything keeps moving. It's like shifting sand. Well, I tell you, there is a one rock, only one rock you can stand on that is never shifting sand. And his name is Jesus. But you start by saying, I choose to believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and you will be saved. How about this one? Be baptized. That's being fully immersed in water as a public sign of our putting our, putting our faith in Jesus as our Savior and Lord. That's key, isn't it? Baptism is about lordship. Baptism is saying to everybody, I believe and I stake my life on it for all time. Jesus is my rock. Jesus is my savior. I'm doing this as a demonstration that I died with him and I'm raised with him. I'm a new creation. That's what baptism is about. It says he's now the boss of my life and I gladly tell everybody. That's baptism. Very important. Amazing how I hear people say, well, I'm just waiting for God to tell me that, that I should get baptized. He's told you. It's in the book. It says, be baptized. How, how, how else do you want God to tell you? Well, I kind of need to feel it. Really? It's not like your breakfast. I mean, you know, your breakfast, you might feel, oh, it's morning and I'm a bit peckish and I want egg and bacon. I really feel... You know, we live life like that, and I'm just waiting for God to make me feel as though I should get baptized. No, no, be baptized. It's a command. Repent, believe, be baptized. So, can I say to you this morning, if you if you've repented, if you've put your trust in Jesus, you know what? Get baptized on the third of March. Right? It's very simple. Just do it. Just do it. That's called obedience how about this receive, be filled, be baptized in the Holy Spirit we read Ephesians 5 verse 17 to 19 the Apostle Paul tells us be very careful then how you live not as unwise but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled and be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Singing and make music, and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? I, I don't mean, did you feel a, a warm fuzzy when you got saved or, or you know, did, did you, oh, I felt that. No, no. Are you baptized today in the Holy Spirit? In Acts 2, it says, what shall we do? And it says, repent, believe, be baptized, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the whole point, the culmination of the whole journey of that is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we stop short of that, we've missed it. And so a lot of believers trying hard and say, well, I, I'm trusting in Jesus, but I seem to struggle so much. He says, no, I want to fill you with the Holy Spirit. I want, to, I want to come and reside in you. I want to be there every day. I want to be there. And I want you start, instead of drinking alcohol and drinking wine, I want you to be full of me. We were doing uh, Word Plus yesterday. We had some, around 30, just over 30 people doing Word Plus. It was a long day. Who was there? Yeah, yeah. It was a long day. Good day there, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, just great fun. We were talking about this, and we were looking at this verse. 
and, and one of the things I realized was we, we always focus on the bee being filled, but we never say, do not, drink, do not be drunk on wine. Now, I'm not making a point of, of not drinking alcohol. The point I'm making is this, is that where do we find our joy? Where do we find our hope? Where do we find our strength? Where do we find our encouragement? We find that in the Lord, not in alcohol. Alcohol destroys people. Alcohol destroys society. Nothing wrong with a glass of wine. I'm not saying that. But to be drunk on wine, actually God's saying, you're going to either be drunk on wine or you're going to be filled with my spirit, but you're going to struggle with both. And there's a challenge there for us. Because we live in a society that loves to get drunk. We live in a society that says, all I want to do is go to the weekend. I've heard people, all I want to do is get to the weekend so I can get absolutely plastered again. How sad. He says, you don't want to do that. You don't want to live like that. You are my people. Make a choice. This is a command. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't go there. Do this. And so God says, I want to fill you. Even this morning he was saying to him, come on, receive some more. Receive. And then last Wednesday at our, at our, our, our new Joining the Family course, we were talking about baptism in the Holy Spirit. We were talking about spiritual gifts. And I realized we, we need to help people with spiritual gifts. Can I ask you, do you speak in tongues? Do you, do you actually move with spiritual gifts? Do you know them? Have you learned to handle them? Are you learning to handle them? Or, or do you just kind of go along with the crowd? There are gifts for us, and there is fruit that grows in our lives, character fruit, because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come any other way. It doesn't come through self-effort. It comes because God dwells on the inside of us. I haven't time. That's probably another preach for another day, but it is one of those commands, a whole series of commands. There's another one. So tick your box. Giving generously into the local church family we're a part of is another very important command if we're to step into the fullness of provision God has for us. And as far as I can see, reading the Bible, giving 10% of our income is a great starting point for that. God even tells us in Malachi 3.10 to test him in this. He's saying that as we worship him wholeheartedly with our money, he will bless us and provide for us beyond measure. I need to say, what God is talking and, and prophesying, you know, the prophecies that are coming... You just look at that and I think, ah, we're going to need to have more staff. We're going to have to have buildings. And we're going to, when you look at the bank balance and you go, oh, Lord. And he says, yeah, but don't you trust me? Because part of the prophecy is it's promised land time. And in the promised land, there's always an abundance. But it's faith. We have to wrestle with those. Okay, God, we're going to do this and we're going to trust you. But actually, we all have to take responsibility and face the fact that he's speaking to us. And the starting point for provision in the church is the church. Always is. It's not outside of the church, it's in the church. It's my contention that there's always enough in the local church. Rarely there isn't, if it's only released. And then, you might think I've done that on purpose, but I want to see the, the flow of this. Then we come to this command we're looking at this morning. Luke 22, 19 to 20, and he took the bread. This is, this is the same, but in the in Luke, pas, in the Luke uh, passage. He took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's clear, isn't it? How do we do that? Well, that. You just do it. Have this meal like we're having this meal 
in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we get to the consequence. Although this meal can be done in many different ways, with different groupings, and interestingly, we kind of get religious about it and do it so often Sunday mornings. We, we backed off doing it on Sunday mornings because actually it becomes a religious form and ritual. And actually the meal was never that. It was actually gathered around a table. It was a, a meal. It was a recognition of one another. And, we, and to do that in community groups and smaller groups and other settings is by far more appropriate Actually, when you have people around for a meal even at the end, just share bread and wine together and just just thank God and keep him central. That's much more appropriate as far as I can see. We can do it in many ways. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it on Sunday from time to time, but as we will this morning, but it's not just about that. There are some important things, however, to take note of wherever we, we take this. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 34. And this is the Apostle Paul who says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That's why many of you, many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, this may not result in judgment. It's a few points to make, and then we're going to break bread together. Basically, Paul's saying this. If you're going to do this, if you're going to share bread and wine together, we've got to do it worthily. We've got to do it in a worthy manner. We've got to take it seriously. And you know what? If we are living an unrepentant lifestyle, then eating bread and wine will bring judgment of God on us. It's to be avoided. If you know you're, you're living in sin, if you know you're living a sinful lifestyle, I would say to you, don't take bread and wine today. Mingle with us, talk with us, just don't take bread and wine. Not out to expose you, but actually taking it inappropriately brings the judgment of God on us, it says. And I need to warn people of that. Deliberate, unconfessed sin prevents us receiving the blessing of God and it dishonors the Lord. If we know we're involved in a hidden sin, or if we know we're holding things against people, especially people in the church or in our own families, then again, we must not eat this meal. If we have unforgiveness in our hearts toward anyone or any group of people, then we must not eat this meal until we deal with it. 
It's all about discerning the body. A number of years ago, Jean and I were in, in Turkey, and uh, I, I remember I was sharing with them about the kingdom of God, and, and I don't know if you're aware how much the Turks and the Greeks really struggle with one another. Um, it's, it's quite a big deal. And uh, I, I understand the historical resentments and why there's some terrible things done uh, to the Greeks by the Turks and all that sort of stuff. It's all there, and it's like nationalism is strong on both sides. And it's like, I wouldn't want to break bread with a Turk, thank you very much, or I wouldn't want to break bread with a, a Greek. And so I, I thought, oh, I'll just poke this. Because you can do that when you're a preacher. You can just go, eh, see what happens. So I said, how, how, how many of you struggle with Greeks? Heads go. How about Greek Christians? You see, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, Turk. We're all one in Christ, brothers and sisters together. There's no room in Christ for unforgiveness. There's no room in Christ for resentment. There's no room in Christ for nationalistic barriers or nationalistic prejudice. All these things have to go. Even, even in different nations, even in, in, within Turkey, I know there are different groupings and they fight against each other. You get it in other countries, all of the people are fighting, fighting, fighting. What do you do? What do you do when you find you're actually eating with people of that other group who are also in Christ. You do it with a glad heart and you forgive gladly. But more than that, you don't want to take bread and wine if you're holding something in your heart against another people group. They may not even be represented here, but if you're holding things against people, maybe... Maybe you've, you've been around a long time and you've been to different churches and you've had some good experiences and some good, bad experiences. But you know what? You left some churches and you've got a resentment from the past. Anybody ever know what I'm talking about? Happens a lot. You're not happy with church leaders. You're not happy with stuff that's gone on. And you know what? It sits there and it can fester and you think, oh, it's okay, it's okay. You know what the Bible says? Love your enemies and bless those that curse you. There is no room at all in the Christian life for holding on to stuff. No room at all for unforgiveness. And forgiveness starts in the heart, by the way. People don't have to ask for it before you give it to them. It's a heart attitude. Unforgiveness rots you on the inside. And unforgiveness will, will spoil this meal. It will spoil this meal. And it will, it, it will not bless you. It will, it will be a problem for you. says some people are weak and sick because they take this meal inappropriately in an unworthy way with wrong stuff in their hearts and attitudes and some even die wow that's serious stuff how often do we preach this so easy just to go along with the crowd well what I'm going to do in a moment is give us a chance to take a few moments to examine our hearts and to get right with God. You see, unforgiveness, well, to, to forgive means to let things go. You've got something in your heart, something against somebody, a, a group, a person, a situation, a family, I don't know. So, well, I'll forgive them if they're nice to me. I'll forgive them if they apologize. 
No, no, wrong way around. You start with forgiveness. Yeah, you might want to go and sort it out, but it starts in our heart right now. We bless them now. Right now. We let it go. We let things go. You've got stuff, stuff in your life that you've not let go of, hurts, worries, problems, you need to let them go. They're only rotting you on the inside, and God wants to come and heal that up and bring blessing where there's hurt and pain. He wants you to be free today. So as I said, we're going to examine our own hearts in a moment. Eating this meal is a serious thing. And we need to honor, love, and bless the Lord. And honor, love, and bless one another. The biggest consequence of breaking bread is that Jesus is exalted in our midst. Okay? Why did he say, remember, remember? Because it keeps Jesus and the message of the cross absolutely central in our life together. And it's at the cross everything else dealt dealt with. It's at the cross sin is forgiven. It's at the cross we give forgiveness. It's, It's in that place of receiving forgiveness from God that we release stuff that other people have done. So that place, we release it. We don't hold it. Our prayer is, Jesus, come and be exalted in our midst. I'm going to have, I'm going to give you opportunity right now to examine your own hearts before God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to wait a bit. I'd like the band to come up if they will. I don't want them to play music just yet, but I... want us to to examine our hearts God I, I, I pray for us now if you'd actually like to close your eyes and get between you and God and sometimes when we stop talking and it, it becomes a time it's suddenly we can, we can say oh, I can be distracted now no you can't this is the most serious moment Again, I encourage you to close your eyes and get before God. Lord, would you help us to examine our own hearts right now? Would you help us right now to to, to face the truth about ourselves? Face the truth about our resentments and our hurts and our sufferings and our pain. The people have heard us down through the years, the, the things we've struggled with, the church leaders we've struggled with, the family we've struggled with. Would you, right now, Lord Jesus, help us see the truth of what we're hanging on to? Now, Lord Jesus, At the foot of the cross, we want to release that to you. We want to release that that person, that group of people. We want to release that resentment. We want to let it go. We want to put it in your hands, Lord.
And Lord, if, we, if I, I just pray, if we're involved in, in a sinful lifestyle that is dishonouring you, then then I, I pray right now you you'll just make us aware, acutely aware of what how we need to repent. Right now, Lord, we we want to turn away from sin. We want to be filled with the Spirit. We want to be clean on the inside. We want to be clean. We want to be clear. We want to be free. We want to be free to enjoy the very life of God. And so we we just say, here we are, Lord. I pray for every prayer that's being prayed every heart that's responding. Thank you, you are faithful. You're a God who forgives. You don't hold things against us. But at the cross, everything was dealt with. And so we thank you for your forgiveness for us this morning. So, Lord, we've kind of odd the way we do this with bits of bread and morsels of tiny little thimblerfuls of, of, of grape juice. But, Lord, nevertheless, I just ask your blessing on this bread and on this wine. Right now, Lord, I ask your blessing. I pray that as we take this, the revelation, the truth of who you are, what you've done, will be made fresh to us. And the revelation of our own freedom from sin will come alive to us again because of your broken body and your shed blood, and we will celebrate and we will shout hallelujah, and instead of being in death, we are in life for eternity. We bless you this morning. And we ask your blessings on these these things, the bread and the wine. So we're going to just now mingle. I want us to remember Jesus and I want us to celebrate.